everybody and welcome to the hobby section a show where we take a chance to talk about what makes the squares who become doctors well-rounded we take a big old plunge into the pastimes of the doctor who prescribes you your finasteride a reminder to all especially to doctors that we are more than our work i'm your host obi wosu i'm an otolaryngology head and neck surgery resident in boston massachusetts and this is the hobby section In fact, actually just in my home state of Indiana, they celebrate the Indy 500. Thousands of people gather around a hot swamp track to watch loud cars go fast. And for them, that's pretty good entertainment. But for my guest today, Dr. Alan Workman, I'm not so sure. Alan, welcome to the show. Please tell me, are you a fan of the Indy 500? (laughs) Thank you very much for having me on the show, Obi. I'm more of a Formula One guy myself. Oh, um, I haven't classy. actually seen the Indian. I, I fell victim to that Netflix show and uh, fell in love with Formula One from that. What was the Netflix show? <laughs> it's called Drive to Survive. It's the four seasons. I feel like it got Americans into Formula One. Wow. Wow. That's just like the um, U.S. women's national team in the Olympics a couple of years ago. Exactly. Exactly. Same effect. Same effect. Very interesting. Well, Alan, thank you very much for being on the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, For the listeners who maybe don't know you, they definitely don't know you. I guess there's a chance they could know you. But tell us a little bit about yourself, Alan, where you're from, what you do, what kind of doctor you are. Sure. I'm a uh, PGY4 otolaryngology resident at Mass Ioneer. Um, I came from the, the, uh, the University of Pennsylvania for medical school. Um, and I'll be going back there next year for rhinology fellowship. Rhinology is uh, nose and sinus and skull-based surgery. Um, how one gets interested in the nose, I don't know, but uh, that's where I ended up. Who <laughs> knows? Um, Alan, well, I wish you all the best of luck. If I could play in real life the iPhone's animation when you say congratulations, I would play it right now. But I guess my saying congratulations will have to suffice. Um, <laughs> More than enough. I, I took a peek at the hobbies you had listed for me. They are uh, certainly unique and exciting. And so I just have to ask right off the back, how did you, right off the bat, it's off the bat, I think. It's hard to know which one it's off of, but it's off of something. How did you get into mixology, as you put it? Um, originally, I got into it actually in undergrad uh, at Cornell. Um, as you may know, or probably don't know actually cornell has a hotel school um and i was friends with What's a lot a hotel of hotel school it's a yeah so i don't know how how individuals get interested in hotel management when they're in high school but there's a whole you know several hundred individuals in each class who are you know specializing in hotel management and oh my hotel gosh real you're estate. like running hotels you learn how to run them exactly there's a hotel on the campus um and you know they make great cocktails the hotel students learn about spirits and how to make cocktails and uh you know i happened to be friends with a bunch of the hotelies as we call them wow and i was amazed by their knowledge of this you know this aspect of the world that i had no idea about sure sure, um, sure. You know, they were making these incredible drinks with incredible spirits you know really creative Um, and that's when I really kind of first got into it and started thinking, you know, this is a creative outlet all its own. Um, I've never been much of an artistic person, um, but then found this as, 
kind of an outlet for my creativity. Wow. There's, um, there's so much in there that I've truly never heard before. And now we have to take some time. So first at Cornell, you're telling me that students go there to study hotels. Correct. Wow. Correct. And Cornell is um, an Ivy League school, correct? It is. <laughs> it is a subsection of students. They're by far the most fun students there. Okay. Um, All right. Now I get the picture <laughs> of who's studying hotels at Cornell. I see. Okay. 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 So the kids that barely got into Cornell and are like, oh, what am I going to do? They're the ones who are making spirits at the hotel lobby on Friday. I see. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. And their final examinations are, you know, blind taste testing of wine. Are they really? And- a hundred percent. So I'd be studying for my, you know, biochemistry final and they would be blind tasting wines <laughs> so that they could pass their test the next day. In a so. sense, they were chemists as well. I think you found exactly. that out. <laughs> so you, uh, you go to Cornell for undergrad, right? Correct. And you're studying biochemistry there. Yes. I was, a, I was a psych major, but I did all the pre-med courses. I see. I see. Okay. So you're studying psych, doing pre-med courses on the side in biochemistry, and you're hanging out at the campus hotel at Cornell, which is called? The Statler Hotel. Oh, fancy. The Statler. Wow. Very nice name. So you're at the Statler how often? Like every day of the week, a couple days of the week? Because <laughs> I can't imagine you're that good of a psych biochem student if you're at the Statler every night with the kids who barely got into Cornell. Not Certainly not every night. Um, you know, the, the students in the hotel school, they run the hotel. Oh, no um, way. You know, the whole hotel themselves, they learn, you know, a tremendous amount about that. Um, you know, they're just so skilled in their own right. You know, they run the, the restaurant, they run the bar. Yeah, I was there, you know, my senior year of college was, you know, obviously after I was 21, um, you know, I would probably be there two to three days a week. I see. Um, once I, especially once I, you know, took my MCAT and finished. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Then you got a minor in mixology. So you see these kids, um, these hotelies, as you call them, making spirits and, uh, all sorts of mixed beverages and, and you describe it as almost like this, uh, awakening for you in a sense that you realize you had some sort of creative outlet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, again, you know, having not much of an artistic background um, or, you know, being, you know, talented at painting or drawing or anything like that, you know, I didn't realize that this was a total, you know, aspect of the creative world that I, you know, had untapped previously. You know, you think about chefs and the way they develop meals and people who cook. I do like cooking, but I love mixology and you know just the creative process around that um kind of mirrors a lot of other art i feel like you first kind of learn the basics and and kind of master some of the things of those who've come before you you know the drinks that they've made you know an idea of the basic structure of a drink you know the basic structure of a sour drink you know of a highball drink then you know building on that and you know developing your own creations over the next several years so tell me, what is, uh, what's a classic drink? Like you, you just said, you know, there's classic drinks, there's a sour, I think you said highball. Like what is a, yeah. what's the, the first classic drink you made that you're like, oh man, there's like a, a history and a, a study and a practice of making alcoholic beverages. What was that drink when you realized that people know how to do this in a way that I don't understand? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, you know, there, there's a lot of literature on this and I've, I've poured into it that most drinks kind of come out of, a, you know, six basic drink structures, like, a, you know, a sour, 
you know, daiquiri, you Umami. know, using like the lime. <laughs> yeah, kind of similar to the tastes. Um, you know, I think the old the old fashioned is is really you know one of the templates that you know is a spirit forward whiskey drink that really can be innovated on with different types of bitters, syrups, you know, flavors that you infuse into it. Um, you know, you can, there's plenty of frills around the drink. You can smoke the drink. Smoke um, the you drink. Know, you can put it. Yeah, you can. I have a cocktail smoker at home that you know you can infuse different types of wood into the drink oh, as geez. you serve it, or even before you serve it. I don't want mulch um, in my drink. <laughs> well, Multicup. no, you, you smoke the you smoke the cocktail itself. It's kind of like you know infusing that flavor into it, but there's no I actual see. wood in the drink itself. That's good to know. So, so the old fashioned is like a, as the name suggests, a kind of cornerstone templated drink that incorporates these you call them six uh senses well, so the old fashioned is one of, is one of the six types of drinks that you can innovate on but you know uh, there's several books that kind of talk about that and that's one of the six the daiquiri is another the highball is another the flip is another i think the sidecar is a fifth i'd have to look up the sixth i think <laughs> well that's all right you didn't study this stuff in undergrad you were only there four or five times a week <laughs> And uh, <laughs> enjoy you didn't get me in trouble. <laughs> um, so, I mean, this is really interesting. For me, I at most drink a, uh, what's it called? Moscow Mule. That's about as elaborate as my drinks get. Like a little bit of ginger beer, a little bit of vodka. And uh, what else goes in that? I don't, that might be a, a lime. A little bit of splash of lime juice. Yeah. Yes, Exactly. And that's like as complicated as it gets. And most of the time I'm like, mm, this is too much. I should have just had apple juice. But <laughs> you're, like, for you, maybe that's too simple. And that's just like, that's the first part of the drink that you mixed in another six or seven parts. Yeah, absolutely. I've certainly made some complex Moscow meals in my day, you know, grapefruit peel infusions and, you know, really innovating on what spirits go in it, you know, using, you know, different spirits other than vodka, you know, less flavored spirit. Um, so you can use something that, you know, gives it a little bit more punch. Um, certainly, you know, a popular drink to innovate on. And I've even made my own ginger beer, um, with, you know, fresh pressing ginger juice and, you know, carbonating that with some simple syrup and, and water as well. That's right. You know, you had mentioned that you've made, what was the number you said over how many, how many drinks have you made that didn't exist before? So pro probably hundreds at this point. I have a very extensive Evernote, um, you know, diary basically of all wow. of the drinks that I've made. Um, you know, and, and I have a, a lot, a lot more on kind of a concept board of things that I've thought about incorporating in drinks. Very weird flavors. Um, I just went to um, to Denmark and had a squid ink infused oh. Negroni. Where does the ink um, come so from, if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> Uh, I, I think that the squid, I, I don't know where in the squid they produce it. That's risky. Um, that is risky, Alan. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I, I, look, that's fine. You drank it. I didn't, but I'm just saying you don't know where the ink comes from. It could be anywhere. Squids are the ones little, that have all the little pop-ups on their tentacles. That's true. It's a little questionable now that I think about it. It's already in there, man. You already drank it. We'll just see. <laughs> we'll see what becomes of you. But that's interesting. So you are uh, not only, uh, you know, learning how to do the classics like an old fashioned, um, but you have taken to 
creating new drinks that didn't exist before. And, and are those things that you do for yourself only? Like you drink the drink and you're like, oh, this is good, but it's kind of weird. And you put it away. Or is it like you drink it, you make some more, you share with a friend, you sell it. Like how do, how do you um, distribute or share your creativity? That's a great question. Art, I feel like, is meant to be shared. Um, I've developed several signature cocktails for weddings or friends and acquaintances. Signature um, cocktails. Of, <laughs> yep. Uh, including, you know, one of our co-residents, Lauren Miller, um, did a pineapple and sesame oil infused Negroni. Oh, sesame um, down oil? There. Yes. Wow. What did that taste like? So you actually, you fat wash the, um, Negroni with the sesame oil. So that basically means you mix the oil with the spirit. Um, let that steep for 24 hours and then freeze it so that you're then able to, um, you know, take the oil out of the drink um, so that the drink itself doesn't taste oily, but lends the sesame, you know, oil flavor to it. So it gives uh, it a little bit of like a silkier mouthfeel and you can taste the sesame, but the drink itself is not, you know, oily um, after you remove the fat after freezing it That sounds it like a lot of chemistry, honestly. So you take the <laughs> sesame oil and the spirit. And when you say spirit, you mean the vodka, whiskey, whatever, right? Exactly. It was, it was gin, gin and Campari in this case, but yes. Gin and what? Campari. It's a bitter aperitif. Okay. So you take the sesame oil, the gin and the squid ink and you (laughs) mix it all up and then you put it in the fridge, the freezer. Yeah. Correct. And it separates out into different into its different parts, but it soaks up all the sesame oil. The spirit does. Yeah. The, the flavor of the sesame the oil. The flavor exactly. of the sesame oil. Okay. All right. Wow. And, and you then, can do that with bacon fat. You can do that with peanut butter, you know, any fatty ingredient, you can essentially infuse that flavor into a cocktail and then freeze off the fatty component of it. Wow. So you, I mean, peanut butter. So we, we're talking squid ink. We're talking, uh, sesame oil. We're talking peanut butter. Do you develop a palate in a sense that do you know if you put peanut butter in a drink, do you know what you're going to get on the other end of the peanut butter? You know how like a cook maybe puts, I don't know, like uh, basil in uh, soup and they know what the basil is going to do. You're like taking stuff out of like your grandma's pantry and putting it in a drink. <laughs> and it's it blows my mind that you would be able to predict where that drink is going after you put in you know, butter or whatever. Sure. I mean, not that there haven't been failures, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, experimentation that goes into that, you know, so much of the cooking palette carries over into cocktail creations. Um, you know, there are several flavor Bibles out there that really have good flavor pairings, um, Uh, you know, basically of any, of any spice or ingredient or fruit vegetable that gives me a good basis, you know, as to whether something's been tried before. And then obviously very exciting is, you know, trying some of your own pairings of things that might go well together, you know, from the conventional, like, you know, berries and mint to, you know, the much less conventional type of pairings, you know, for more out there drinks. Like, you know, I recently made a wasabi and ginger based drink, Mm. um, you know, with some sake that was, you know, supposed to kind of evoke some feelings of sushi. Did it work? It worked well. It worked very well. Wow. Congratulations. Again, cueing the <laughs> iPhone animation. Um, so you got into mixing at Cornell when you were supposed to be studying. Uh, you have really, it sounds like, exploded that hobby, and you are making all different sorts of drinks, pairing together things I used to make my kids lunch. 
to make a drink <laughs> on Friday night, which is uh, frankly really impressive. A little bit of what you mentioned when you were telling me about your hobbies briefly beforehand was that you know the history of these things is also important to you. So it's not so much that you're just you know, hanging out with the folks at the Statler, just tossing them back. <laughs> it's that you're actually trying to learn about where this stuff came from and, um, and how people are doing it nowadays. So speak to me a little bit about how you got into the, um, how you became such a history buff of alcohol as opposed to just, uh, a consumer or a mixologist or a creative with alcohol and how much knowing the history actually informs your ability to play around with these things. So, you know, we have a storied history in America and abroad. Um, and I've, you know, probably read 50, 60 books that are stacked around our home um, and some on Kindle, um, just kind of going through the history of spirits and cocktails and, you know, giving new ideas. And a lot of the famous cocktail bars of our time have published their own books, you know, exposing their recipes for everyone because they're proud of them. You can see them. You can see what goes into them. They're not trying to hide their own, you know, recipes as proprietary techniques. So it really yeah. gives me you know, a good sense of what people are doing now and how that, you know, how that innovation has changed over time. So, you know, with, with prohibition, obviously that, that set us back a couple of decades because, you know, the pre-prohibition era was an amazing era of cocktail innovation. Oh man, um, oh, that, you, know, you would have loved to be alive then. <laughs> um, you know, there was just an amazing renaissance of cocktail making. And then we lost that for a couple of decades. And then, you know, in the recent decades, it really has made a comeback. Um, you know, seeing the craft cocktail bars and speakeasy style bars that have popped up and the innovation that goes on there um, really has inspired a lot of my own, you know, interest in cocktail making. Is there a part of you that is thinking somewhere down the line, I'm going to hang up the stethoscope and <laughs> turn in my, I guess it's actually for you be like a zero degree scope. You're going to be like, I'm going to be done with the noses and I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to step behind the bar full time. I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll ever give up the noses. I think that, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I think I've always thought, I've, I've thought a lot about that and what, what happens when a hobby turns into a, you know, work, yeah. does it, you know, does it stay the same? And, Absolutely. you know, whether that would remain for me, I love entertaining, you know, I, I throw themed cocktail parties of original cocktails, you Never know, been at least invited. twice a year. Yeah. Well, you know, you just got to Boston and I didn't know oh. you were interested. So, <laughs> But uh, it sounds like you can come to the next one. But um, it's just one of my favorite, you know, passions is kind of creating some of those flights. You know, whether that would translate into something that was, you know, work. I don't know if I would, uh, you know, be able to do it Tuesday through Sunday. Yeah, right. Um, but, uh, you know, and whether it would still be as much fun if I did. But yeah. obviously, who knows what who knows what will happen down the line. Right. And you're cataloging it. You're You're making a little... You're making a little mixology scrapbook and with all your recipes. <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, it's, it's become quite extensive. That'll become some sort of family heirloom, you know? I Who knows so. if down the line they'll so. understand and appreciate the art that it was. They might just think that their great-granddad was just slizzard all day long. But at least the, <laughs> the, the more recent generations will appreciate that it really was quite the creative outlet for you. And I, I, I mean, I, uh, I admire that a lot. I think it's really neat and... Um, you know, our work, a lot of times, um, <clears throat> it can be hard to feel a creative at work. It can be hard to feel like you're um, thinking newly or freshly about things, uh, especially when we're learning so much and we're trying to digest and repeat and recite and 
understand so much information. This has been at least my experience. And so I think the fact that you found a hobby uh, wherein you feel like you are creating and doing something new and fresh, um, I think that's really important. Absolutely. I couldn't have summarized it better myself. Yeah. Well, Alan, um, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I very much appreciate you giving us your time on the Indy 500. I know it was a big deal to you to have to step away from the screen and, and give, give me some time, but this was awesome. So thanks so much for being on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And if anyone's interested in learning more about cocktails, I'm always happy to talk to any, any listener. Look at um, that. He's going to start a podcast questions. of his own. <laughs> Are you a doctor with a hobby? I hope so. If you've got a hobby that you want to talk about, I probably want to talk about it too. Shoot me an email at thehobbysection at gmail.com or tweet me at hobbysection. Tell me about your hobby in as many or as little words as you like. I'd love to have you on the show. My name is Obi Wosu. This has been The Hobby Section. I'll be in mind.